0: Welcome to the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on our podcast, we have audio from our Sunday morning service on February 7th. The title of this message is Our Father. We're going to be looking at prayer, specifically kind of the context of of how we pray our prayers, the relationship between ourselves and our Father in heaven. To go along with this talk, I've also created some uh, resources that are going to be up at NorthShoreVineyard.org. We've created a new page there for spiritual formation. The idea is that we have some resources that will accompany some of the talks in the coming weeks. And these things will really help you in your own devotional times. So you can go download those. And uh, it's just a worksheet with some ideas for prayer and and readings. So I encourage you to check that out when you get a chance. And... uh, Let's head on over to the talk. Thanks for listening. Welcome. How you guys doing? You're you're probably tired of people asking you that, so I'm not going to ask you that. Um, I figured today we'd just have a time of prayer for the saints. Um, Has this been like the worst week ever, just anticipating like, like, Tonight can't get here. So like, it's good to just be at church just so you don't have, you know, so you got something else to distract you from ESPN and all the commentators and stuff. Well, um, we've been in this, uh, for the past few weeks, we're we're in kind of a series here that it's going to take us through this year called Life Connected. And so for the first three months of this year, we're kind of looking at ways that we connect to God. So I encourage you, if if this is your first time here and saying you, you don't get completely offended at this or anything, and you like it, uh, you can definitely get caught up by, you can visit uh, uh, our website, northshorevineyard.org, and, and we got the audio from the past few weeks, and so you can kind of get a context. Because each one of these weeks kind of builds up on on the previous weeks, and so it's all kind of connected together that way. That's why we call it Life Connected. But um, today, we're, we're the last couple of weeks we've been talking about, we spent a couple of weeks on worship, and last week I kind of laid out the idea that um, spiritual disciplines discipline 's not a real fun word in our life a lot of times. Uh, we hear it in a negative connotation, but uh, really kind of the point of spiritual disciplines prayer, reading your Bible, you know getting together with other people, all the different things we do in the life of Christianity is to kind of get us to a point of being naturally supernatural so that 's kind of what we talked about last week that that your normal reaction when somebody pulls out in front of you on the road, wouldn't be just to beat them down or, you know, uh, chase them to the, to the light and get out of your car and give them a piece of your mind. But your normal reaction would actually be to listen to what God's saying peace, love, kind of that stuff. You know, that, that would become natural to you. And so that's kind of what the spiritual disciplines do. Like any relationship, we kind of put that in a relational framework that if you're married, um, there's certain things you do in your marriage to make sure that relationship is, is a good thing, right? And we don't think of these things, but, you know, you you stop going down to the local bar and flirting with other women, you, um, you, you take out the trash, you go on dates, you work on communicating, those kinds of things, those are kind of disciplines. And so we kind of put it in the framework that, that the Christian life, we have certain disciplines with God, but it's all to get us to kind of a place of being naturally supernatural, as we talked about last week. So, We're going to talk about prayer today, and uh, does anybody ever find prayer intimidating? You ever struggle with prayer? Anybody going to be honest in here? Yeah. Anybody struggle with lying? Uh, No. (laughs) Uh, You know, prayer is one of those things in the Christian faith that, I mean, I'll be honest. uh, I've been a Christ follower for probably 15, 16 years, and man, I mean, it's still not easy. It's You know, prayer, like it's 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 a weird thing, this this discipline of kind of talking to somebody that you don't see and you know, what do you say to somebody who knows everything and uh, you know, where do you start? And so um, if you're having these kind of questions and, and these struggles in your life, you're in good company because the the actual the disciples, the ones that were hanging out with Jesus, they had this problem too. So, hey, um, we're in good company. So Jesus, when he was going to teach, his disciples about prayer, um, in Matthew 6, uh, he told them this, and we've got, uh, we're going to have the words up there on the screen today. Um, Jesus said, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to, st- to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling on like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know, in our world, you've probably heard the Lord's Prayer a few times. You've probably heard, you know, if you grew up Catholic, it was called the Our Father. Uh, But it doesn't give us quite the punch that it would have given Jesus' original hearers. You know, we kind of just hear the term, ah, pray the Our Father. We kind of think of it maybe maybe you've kind of grown up in a tradition where it's just kind of, you know, something you say occasionally. Um, but it, it doesn't hit us with the kind of cultural punch that it would have hit Jesus' original followers with. Uh, there were a couple of views of God in in, in Jesus' time when he was saying these words. First, you had the Jewish view of, view of God. Jews had no problem, you know, in classical Judaism, they had no problem seeing God as almighty, holy, righteous, just. But they, they didn't see him as near. In other words, in Judaism, any relationship you had with God was defined on keeping the covenant, obeying the rules. It was just basically you obey the rules, and, and, and one guy, you know, one priest might get to encounter God one time a year. On the other side, you had the Greeks and the Romans who were around that time, and, and they had gods for everyone. I mean, they had a god for anything you could imagine, thousands upon thousands of gods. And so if life was going good for you, if business was going good, if you were making some sales at the office, if, if everybody was healthy, then you thought, man, the gods must like me. I'm doing good. But then as soon as somebody gets sick or as soon as you have a bad deal go down in business, then all of a sudden you got to figure out which out of these thousands of gods, have I offended? (laughs) Who do I need to get on my side? So either way, whether you were under Judaism or paganism of the time, uh, neither one of them thought of God as someone that you would have a relationship with. You know, for the Greeks and the Romans, the only relationship you have is just to try to get a God on your side or get him off your back. And for for the Jewish people, it was uh, God was good, but he just wasn't very near. So Jesus comes on the scene, and he does something radical. He said, "He, I mean, did you notice how many times just in that one little passage in teaching on prayer, he talks about when you go, talk to your father. Your father knows everything. You, he uses the word father over and over again. And then how does he start this prayer that's become the Lord's Prayer? He starts it with our father. Now, that, doesn't, that may not strike you as crazy, but that was incredibly subversive. It threatened every religion on the planet at that time. Nobody talked about God that way. It's interesting. Jesus actually uses the term. It's translated father in your Bible, but it's actually the the word Abba. Uh, If you've ever had a baby, one of your baby's first words when they will try to communicate with an adult is Abba. I mean, doesn't matter, matter where they're born. And and if mom's here, they say, oh, he said, mama. <laughs> and if dad's here, they said, he said, papa. But, <laughs> but the word Abba, it's actually, that, that the roots of that word is an Aramaic word, that, that the roots of it were just kind of the first attempts of a little child to connect with their parents. That's kind of the roots of it. And so it became kind of a, a an affectionate term, an endearing term, you know, A few years ago, my my kids don't do this as much anymore the older they get, but, you know, it's quite common, not too long ago, that when I'd come in from a day of work, my kids would run to me, you know, as soon as I opened that door, and they'd go, Daddy! And they'd run, and one would grab a hold of this leg, and the other would grab a hold of that leg, and then I'd try to walk around the room carrying them around on my legs, but, but... when they said, "Daddy," it wasn't it was a term of affection it, it It said something about the relationship between me and my kids. it It was familiar, but it wasn't disrespectful. You know it, it, It's not like I came home and, and they said, "Oh, gracious Father, we are so glad you have decided to come home this evening and and uh, if we can sit in the same room with you, we would really appreciate that No, there, there was no holding back." There was the the word daddy to them. It meant something. And so Jesus, when he's trying to show people what God's like, he doesn't use, you know, he had a choice. Jewish religion, Judaism had all kinds of terms for God. Yahweh. Yahweh was a mysterious word. I mean, nobody even wrote it out. Nobody even knows quite the way it was spelled. They just used (laughs) Y-H-W. Something like that, yeah. And uh, it it was such a mysterious word for God that they didn't even use it. Jesus didn't use that word either. You know, the Jewish people often referred to God as king, kind of like we're singing today, king of all. Uh, They had no problem with that. Jesus didn't use the word king. He certainly didn't ignore the kingdom aspects, but he says he used the word father, dad, papa. It was a very familiar term, not disrespectful, It was because it was familiar in the sense of affectionate. There's a good relationship here, and Jesus, Jesus talks about God in that way. So it it was. While it may not mean a lot to you today, growing up in a culture that has been so influenced by Christianity, all all, you know, you've heard God referred to as Father. That's an incredibly powerful thing, and it's still an incredibly powerful thing today. I think we've kind of lost a bit of it over the years because of our familiarity with the with the term. But Jesus I'm going to I don't need to use this mic stand. <laughs> um you know I I've got a I got a number of friends over the year who have adopted children and I recently met a couple in Fort Collins when I was up in Colorado a couple of weeks ago, I recently met a couple that's actually planning a church in Fort Collins, and uh, they were showing me pictures on their My, i mean, on, on their Facebook of um, of their kids, and, and they apparently had adopted three African children um, just a couple of years ago. And they i I, 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 be, I was interested, like, how do you go from you know you have—they had teenagers, and I'm, I'm like, what's the story? of how you ended up with, with these three African kids. I mean, how does that happen? And they began telling me this story about how they, uh, they, they found this child and, and they really felt God was leading them. You know, they have been praying about adopting for years and they felt like God was leading them to this one kid. And, and his name was actually, you know, really significant with something God had spoken to them at one point. So they really sensed God was moving in it in all kinds of ways. And, uh, so, so to get this kid, it involved trips back and forth to Africa. It involved ter- interpreters. It involved you know dealing with uh, a a system over there that wasn't quite like uh, dealing with a system. And you know the laws were different. Um, th- the customs were different. And they went through all this, and then sometime along the way, they found out he had two cousins that were in the orphanage, and they decided to adopt all three of them. Well, this was going to cost, to get three kids out of Africa and adopt them, it was going to cost like $75,000. And these guys had no money. I mean, they, I mean, they had money to survive on, but they certainly didn't have $75,000 lying around. And so they begin to show me, you know, tell me how, how through this whole process – God worked it out. They, all of a sudden, they had the $75,000 to get these kids, and they brought them home. And so I'm looking at these pictures on Facebook, and they got, like, pizza night at their house, and, and all these kids eating pizza. And they, they said they're just the most wonderful kids. They're just full of life, uh, full of love. and uh, And it was an amazing story. But, you know, as amazing as that is, as amazing as the price and the cost, it cost them time. It cost them resources. It was an emotional roller coaster to get these kids. As amazing as that is, You know, you and I have been adopted by God. And he didn't just pay $75,000 for you. He didn't just pay a million dollars for you. He paid the highest price that could be paid in the universe. He paid Jesus Christ so that you could actually be in this relationship with him. You know, Paul, um, the Apostle Paul, Romans 8, he says this, uh, verse 15, he says, You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship or adoption, and by him, we cry, "Abba, Father." The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirits that we are God's children. In other words, when when you respond to God and you open up your heart to God and you say, "God, I, I believe, uh, I, I receive what you did," you become a son. You're adopted. You're in. <laughs> And, and Jesus, and so Paul's even echoing the same thing, that, that now we cry out, like, yeah, Dad. It's like, you see God, and you, you run to him. You don't run away to him. You're not hiding in shame and, and wondering, you know, is this you know, some old guy with a stick that's going to beat me down? Because uh, you, whatever. You, now you run to him. So this is kind of how Jesus sets it up. Now, the word Father, or, or, or Abba, <laughs> Dad, Papa, That was a weird term for people back in that day for God. It was unusual, mainly for religious reasons. But the word father to us, it carries some baggage these days too, doesn't it? You know, um, for many of you, father may have meant emotional distance. It may have meant, you know, your father may have been a good provider, but he might not have been very present in your life. Your father may have had problems with anger or addictions You know, so the word father to you may just carry all kinds of weird things that, that, you know, it it just messes with your head. There's another group of people who have no context for a father. You know, statistically, there's going to be something like over 40 million people, kids tonight, that are going to go to bed in a household without a father. And that's that's a huge chunk of our population. Statistically, right now, you're just as likely to be born into a a home with a father as without a father in America. So our problems here in America aren't the same problems that they had back then with the fathers. Our problems is we've kind of lost the context of what a loving father looks like. Now, certainly, I'm sure there's some of you in here who grew up with a, you, you had a, a great father, and I think ideally, you know, that's what parents are supposed to do. We're supposed to prepare our kids to receive God and, and to not have a bunch of hang-ups. You know, they'll have some naturally. <laughs> But our problem is we, we lack a context of what Father is. And so I just challenge you, as we continue going on today, and you continue in the weeks to come, you know, it may be weird, it may sound awkward to think of God actually loving you that kind of way, that he would actually adopt you, that he would take you right where you're at, that you don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops, that he actually loved you in your absolute worst shameful condition. He actually loves you right there. But I encourage you, to keep stepping away from your doubts that kind of try to drag you the other way, and to and to begin to believe that, say God, you know, I don't, I don't get it, <laughs> I don't know why you would, but I do, I, 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 I believe it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna receive that as true. Today, I want to look at a, you know, I, I got this picture up here. This is uh, anybody know what this one is? This is Rembrandt. It, does, it doesn't come across. Qu- <laughs> it. <laughs> I'm having trouble talking. It doesn't quite come across with, uh, you know, the uh, how how well it was done as if you'd see it in a museum. But this is, uh, Rembrandt actually painted this. It's the return of the prodigal son. And this morning I want to look, just in kind of understanding God as 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 father, I want to look at the, the parable of the prodigal son. And I think we can learn something about God as our father. I think we can also learn about two... Tendencies that will absolutely trip, trip you up from receiving the Father's love. Luke 15, one through th- we're going to start out with the first uh, three verses. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So this is the setup this is the context in which you will hear the parable of the prodigal son the pharisees and the law they were like the religious elite of that time these were guys who spent all their time trying to obey the rules they had their own dress their own language i mean they were they were do, you know talk about spiritual disciplines they were doing disciplines really good <laughs> and and when they say to jesus this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This is not an endearing term to them. They're not saying, oh, wow, look, he's hanging out with sinners. He's eating with them. No, they're saying, I can't believe it. If this guy's a prophet, if he's really a teacher of the word, if he's really so good and, he re- and so wise, why is he hanging out with these losers over here? Shouldn't he be hanging out with those of us who study the word, who've memorized Bible verses, who you know do the right things? So they were looking down on Jesus. They're saying, man, what is the matter with you? And so it's that context where Jesus gives this parable. So Jesus' parable is kind of an answer to that question. Why are you hanging out with prostitutes and drunk people and, and tax collectors and, and kind of all the messed up people in society? So Jesus delivers three parables. One is the parable of the lost coin. One's the parable of the lost sheep. And then he closes out this section with the parable of the prodigal son. So in verse 11, Jesus said this, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not longer after that, the son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father but while he was still a long way off his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him he ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him the son said to him father i have sinned against heaven and against you i am no longer to be worthy to be called your son but the father said to his servants quick bring the best robe and put it on him put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet bring the fattened calf and kill it let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered the father, look. But the father answered, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home and you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because of this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. There's two kinds of lost in this story. There's there's two kinds of alienation from the father. The first one's pretty obvious. That's the younger brother, right? We, we've seen people like this. You may have been like this. I certainly was you know you, you 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 leave you it's it's kind of the path of self discovery you know go out there and try a bunch of things and get beat up and and uh, that's the young the younger brothers uh pursuit and we see this a lot of times you know y- y- you've heard these uh what are these birth order studies that came out in the last few years that you know if you're if you're the last born kid you're you're more likely to be a little bit crazier and wilder and, and if you're the older kid you you tend to be more responsible to live near home to to obey your parents and and follow all the rules Well, this certainly true in this this parable. The older brother is not the uh the on the path of self discovery he's the moralist he's the one who follows all the rules It's interesting even in this story you know when when the brother's talking to the father, he's like, look, you know, I was out in the field working, you know? I mean, he, he was out there getting it done. But understand that both of these sons are alienated from the father. Actually, if you're going to look at a title for this, this parable, it should be called the parable of the elder brother because Jesus is telling the... He, remember, Jesus is answering the Pharisees here. You know, you guys are getting mad at me because I'm hanging out with prostitutes and sinners and drunk people and people who are partying, people who aren't showing up at the temple each week. You're getting mad at me. But you know what? I'm just like the father in this parable. I'm, welcome, I'm, I'm welcoming these people in. I'm opening the doors. I'm putting a robe on them. I'm putting a ring on them. I'm bringing them near to me. And you guys, you're getting upset. This is a good thing. You should be rejoiced. These people are dying, and now they're coming near to God. He's basically. This is an indictment on them. He says, basically, you guys, you're the older brother. You're following all the rules. You're even in the same house, but you're missing relationship with God. So it's possible to come to church. It's possible to drop something in the offering each week. It's possible to read your Bible. It's possible to pray, go to Bible studies, and be alienated from God. Isn't that crazy? It's possible to stand up for all the causes in our society, you know, and and, and parade around for, you know, whatever the latest cause is and still be alienated from God. It's possible to miss connection with God, and that's what Jesus is getting at. So there's two kinds of lost, moralist and self-discovery, two ways of being alienated from God. But let's look at the Father now. The Father is the the father in this parable is just such a picture of unconditional love understand when the younger son comes to him the father knows he's not going you know to take this money and go open a new business and come back a few years from now and buy him a house because he's done so successful he knows this younger son is going to go off and he is just going to you know be a fool with it you know the the father I, I think it would probably be insulting these days um, if if you, you went to your own father and said, hey, look, I know I'm getting something when you die. Can I go ahead and get that now? Because <laughs> I'd like to go have fun. <laughs> that would be insulting right now, right? In Jesus's day, that would have been like grounds for beating the kid and running him out of town. It would have been, you know, very patriarchal society and... Saying something like that to your father would be grounds for, you know, you're disowned. Forget getting anything. You're, cut, you're not even my son anymore. The father in this says, okay, you want it? Fine. And what do we see when the son returns? You know, the, the, the son, you know, Judaism wasn't a, a big fan of pulled pork and bacon and stuff like that. You know, you didn't, you didn't eat pigs. And the son in this story, the younger son, where, 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 what's the bottom for him? The bottom is working on a pig farm. <laughs> and it's not eating pigs, it's actually wanting what the pigs are eating. I mean, that's about as low as low could go for the audience that Jesus was, you know, I mean, it's, it's as low, it's, it's like, you know, shooting up heroin in the gutter nowadays. And the son gets to a low point and he begins thinking, you know, even if I was a slave in my father's house, I'd at least have three square meals a day. <laughs> I mean, even if I just hired work, even if he doesn't want me as his son, even if I just work for him, it'd be better than this and so he starts walking back home and he's rehearsing the thing in his mind Have you ever been in that place before where you got to say something you got to apologize and you know you're going to be in trouble and you're just like oh how do i explain this and and you got all these scenarios kind of going on in your mind of how the other person's going to react and and maybe how you can you know make excuses and you know i didn't mean to lose all the money with the prostitutes and stuff it was crazy we were just you know somebody t- you know, took it one night and uh, uh But he's going to go back and he's going to repent. But what's interesting is he's coming down the road. What do we see? He's in the middle of rehearsing this, and the father runs out to him, doesn't condemn him, doesn't say, What are you doing? (laughs) doesn't say, Where's my money? He just grabs him, he hugs him, he kisses him, he, he calls out to his servants. You know, th- I love this part in this story. the story. The son starts telling his excuse that he's been practicing. I've, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And the father just cuts him off. Get a robe. Let's have a barbecue. Find a band. This is an awesome thing. And understand like, like even killing a fattened calf back in those days, that would have been a big deal. You didn't kill, you know, you didn't have meat with every meal like we do here in America. It was a special occasion if you got to eat meat, you know? It'd normally be like bread and lentils. Killing a fattened calf. This may have been the biggest party that this father ever threw. It, you kill a fatted calf back in those days, the whole village would turn out. It was a big deal. The father's making a big deal about it. He's not making a big deal about what this son hasn't done, about how he's wasted all this stuff making a big deal that relationship is being restored. On the other hand, how do we see the father treat the older brother? The older brother comes in indignant. Father, I can't believe, you know, what's going on here? I'm not even going to go into this party. I'm just going to stand out here and sulk because I think you're, you've absolutely lost your mind. This, this son has wasted half of, of your assets on, on nothing, nothing to show for it. And he said, "You know, here I have been all these years obeying the rules. You never got me a fat calf. You didn't even get me a goat, a baby goat. I didn't get to eat baby goat. Some of y'all is thinking that might not be that great of a deal." He's like, "I didn't. E- you didn't even let me eat a baby goat." And the father says, "Son, everything I have is already yours." Isn't that interesting? Everything I have is already yours. I think that that's, you know, we we get so distracted on stuff sometimes. (laughs) We realize that everything God has, it's already ours. You know, we're already in the house. We can't see it. And this son, the father says, why don't you come in and celebrate? Because this is a good thing. This is a good thing. Relationships are being restored. My son is back. He was dead, but he's alive now. Jesus... In this story, he doesn't resolve the older brother. That's kind of interesting. Basically, he kind of leaves it open because the audience he w- w- was, was talking to, they were kind of the ones that needed a response. They were the older brother. The younger son came to his senses and came back, got in relationship. The older brother, it was still questionable. So this morning, <laughs> this morning, I just want to close with the uh, I want to sing a song. I, I wrote a song a couple of years ago based on this um, uh, parable called "Robe," and I just want you to ask yourself today: Where are you in in relationship to the Father? Are you Are you following the rules? And just kind of, you know, you, you feel. Do you ever feel yourself just kind of looking down at other people? You get emails about, you know, this cause or that causing. Oh, yeah, those no, stupid. You find yourself frequently in that place looking down your nose at other people for doing what in your mind is, is stupid and pathetic and what they're doing to this country. Do you find yourself there? Maybe you've got a bit of that tendency of the older brother. Maybe you're in here this morning, you're like the younger brother. You've just been you've been doing all kinds of stupid things and and and, and you you feel like, you know, figuratively you're you're in the bottom of the trough today. You're you're down there with the pigs and, and you you found yourself just encased in shame this morning, like like you're here, but you're not here. We're singing worship songs about God, your love reaches me, and you're just like, no way, I, I can't believe it. I can't let myself believe it because I'm too ashamed of who I've become. And maybe you're just kind of indifferent today. I don't know. I don't know where you are, but I just I want to sing this little song and just I just as as a reflection on the Father. And just ask that, that, that you and I today that we could turn to him and that we could begin receiving his love, that we could welcome him, that we could believe wherever you are, he's running towards you. His arms are open wide and, and that, that, that he accepts you right where you're at. Nothing's ever going to change till you get that. <laughs>
1: Of us like sheep have gone astray, forsaken the truth to find a better way. But when I looked up from the bottom, hemmed about by lies, my sickness showing through my clever disguise, I heard a word within whispered to my soul memory on the wind from long ago it's aching to return buried deep within but if I could get back there would you take me in I can hear you calling all I am for all oh, you are I'll wrap my of righteousness around your heart. All I am for, all you are. I'll wrap my robe of righteousness around your heart. These idols never loved me, but they took all that I gave. These chains could never hold me like your warm embrace. And I don't know why you would take me, but something's telling me you will. And I don't know how you could love me, but I know your love is real. I can hear you calling. All I am for. Righteousness around your heart, all I am for, all you are, I'll wrap my robe of righteousness around dreams upon my bed strengthen my spirit and your life in my soul, yeah. These chains on the ground and your love it surrounds me These chains on the ground and your love that has found me These chains on the Like I've never known I'm